Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. You're listening to the Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm speaking with Fernanda Baraldi, who is the Senior Director, Ethics and Compliance at Cummings, Inc. Fernanda is Brazilian and started out as an attorney in Sao Paulo. She was involved in one of the first FCPA cases in South America, and that was the beginning of her interest in ethics and compliance. She came to the U.S. for an LLM program at the University of Indiana and has now stayed in the Indianapolis area. Welcome, Fernanda. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. And um, let's talk a little bit about how you started out your career in Brazil. Um, you're practicing law there. And can you talk how that brought you to the compliance path that you're on today? Yes, absolutely. So around five years after I graduated from law school in Brazil, um, I joined a company called Embraer, which is the third largest aircraft manufacturer in the world. Um, I joined them as a business lawyer. Um, this is my whole background. As a, my background is in business, um, business law and corporate law. So I joined them to help them with one specific business unit in their contracts, um, services and support for aircraft. Very neat. Um, maybe one year after I joined, um, in, I joined in 2008, so in 2009, Embraer received a subpoena from the DOJ and the SEC uh, containing allegations of violations of the FCPA. Um, I mean, this, this was the start of, as you may imagine, a whole um, <laughs> mess, I would say, within the company. Going in, huh? It was a really big change. Exactly. So. Yeah. A whole mess within the company, and then um, I, as I say, companies don't really call each other to benchmark how to go through an investigation. <laughs> <laughs> so there was some learning curve on how, what, what did Embraer need to do to go through this, and what were the, what was the path forward? Uh, as one of the company, the first company in South America, located in South America, headquartered in South America, going through this. Yeah. For me, it was immediately interesting, right? And how um, just having to be part of this and having to help with producing documents and um, deposing and yeah. providing information, and it's just it's just a, a lot of things to. To do, and and then, by the way, I kept my job as a business lawyer, so this was like yeah, going at the same time. An ethics job, um, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things you also mentioned when we talked before was um, a bit about learning about the difference of people who you know walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, you know, at the company and sort of how there's like a di dichotomy that was in the organ. You know, just generally the, the differences that you saw or that you're learning from. You know, talk a little. Yeah, what did you? Yeah. Yeah, this was um, this was an eye opener for me. Um, one of the many eye openers during this whole <laughs> investigation. Uh, I was, I would say, a baby lawyer back then. Right? I was um, even. I was not even thirty, and just having to go through this when you 
one year after you were onboarded with the company when they show you all the videos and uh, this is this great company that um, we we try to do we do everything right we have a code of conduct um, we see the seniors the C suite and on the TV saying how this is important for us that we do things the right way etc. And when you start and again, don't get me wrong, it is a great company and I, I learned a lot from them and I loved working there. Uh, but the things you see the, in paper <laughs> when you start looking and yes. digging through documents versus uh, what you see on TV, this was such an eye-opener for me. So that's, that was the dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is between the walk, the walk, and, and talk, the talk, and walking the walk. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if any of our listeners are in a company where every single person is both talking the talk and in fact, walking the walk, please call me because I would like to, you know, I would like to bottle up whatever that person is doing for all of us. Cause I can't imagine in any company, you know, there, there's always something to deal with and we all see that. Correct. So, yeah. But anyway, um, so then did that just, because of that, you thought I've always wanted to go to Indianapolis or did there, you know, how did it move? No, Next. no, this was very funny. So after six years, I, um, the end of my fifth year with Embraer, I started thinking, okay, with all this learning that I got here between the business law, having to repossess planes and under lease, <laughs> and for instance, and the compliance and uh, investigation, I think I want to know more about this from the source, right? So what I did is that I, uh, similar to many lawyers that are outside the U.S., I applied for uh, several LLM programs, which is like a Master of Law degree in Mm -hmm. the U.S., right? In between, and I I really want to come to the Midwest, right? So I I targeted all my applications to the Midwest. I had not applied to the Indiana University uh, just because of my lack of knowledge about Indiana, really. Um, in between my application process and the results I started getting, I had a deal in Indianapolis, a business deal, okay, um, for uh, a sale of a pre-owned plane. So I came to town to discuss this and to negotiate, and I had a day off after the negotiation. Between my flight back to Brazil, I had a day off, and I decided to go to the law school. Just to, you know, check around. You see, this is the kind of, um, <laughs> this is the kind of uh, things that I do on my off time instead of exploring the museums I go to the law school. <laughs> um, and I learned that they also had an LLM program and they were immediately very um, interested in my career and my past, in my, my past experience. And they said, why don't you apply? We'll give... Um, We'll take a look at your application with uh, a lot of interest. And I said, okay. So then this is what I did. I applied uh, to Indiana University, uh, Robert H. McKinney School of Law here in Indianapolis. And while I got accepted in other universities too, McKinney, who is my, that, that is my law school here in Indianapolis, gave me a full scholarship. Well, that is, that's a, you know, that's a great reason in itself. <laughs> Exactly. Right. We're talking about, I don't know, forty-five dollars to $50,000 grants. That's it. Right. And plus the lower cost of living in Indianapolis and um, this incentive to come here was really what made me um, think about Indianapolis as a place to come and spend 
12 to 18 months while I was doing my program. That was the idea. <laughs> yeah. And when you got there, you were saying that because you were from, from Brazil, um, people really, even though you were interested in compliance, there was an assumption that you would be doing something different, either immigration or something. Oh, yeah. Talk about, yeah. Talk about yeah. That, how you kind of, you had this goal and objective and how you overcame some of those assumptions to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of, um, again, Indianapolis is a very welcoming town, but there was assumptions that while you're from Brazil and you speak five languages, why why do you want to work with compliance? You'll be perfect with immigration law. And I'm like, okay, thank you for your suggestion, but I really don't, um, that's not where my passion is. And again, immigration law is very important, et cetera, but I had a passion to work with corporations and the compliance function. So... It was really, it's like the person feels that they are giving you an opportunity and you have to say, no, thank you, because my path is actually this path that I want to go. Um, a lot of assumptions about Brazil in general. Oh, do you want to do this because Brazilians are all corrupt? <laughs> or, um, uh, or um, there was another um, instance where um, I, I had to a, a discussion with a, a government official here that didn't know anything about Brazil, and he thought I needed to take a canoe to go to law school <laughs> in Brazil, <laughs> and that I had monkeys as pets. So, um, it, and it was really he didn't know better. Right? He didn't know anything about Brazil, right? So, having to navigate those waters. Mm-hmm. of being and here in Indianapolis there's not a big Brazilian community right right and having to navigate the waters of being one of the first Brazilians in the law school in Indianapolis right mm-hmm. um a person who had a prior career a person who speaks multiple languages and and still having to hear well you should do immigration law at first I was really frustrated with this right because I'm like this is not what I want to do. Um, there was also the whole assumption, all oh, because you're here and you know, under certain eyes, quote unquote, good looking, um, people are never going to take you seriously. You're going to be like the Brazilian version of Sofia Vergara, right? <laughs> <laughs> not just being Brazilian, but a woman, and, and both in stereotypes, both in school, and then when you started in your role, so. Yes. So, and yeah, there's this, this, all the stereotypes about, you know, Brazilian women being, you know, all the Victoria's Secret supermodels are Brazil, Brazilian, some of them, most of them. And they're like, oh, you're from Brazil too. So the first question is always, oh, what, what is that crazy party called Carnival? I'm like, can, can we just talk, can we just talk to um, talk to what I'm, what I'm meeting you for. I, I, it, and you, and I, I needed to learn how to, um, convey my message and convey what were my interests, but still not completely shutting down people for asking questions about Brazil. Right. right. <laughs> Again, yeah. most of them never saw a Brazilian before. Right. Um, this, the things they say in Brazil about Brazil are soccer, corruption, and Victoria's Secret. So can you blame them? <laughs> True. So that's real. I mean, that's interesting. And then, um, you know, one of the other things that goes along with that is not only do you have that stereotype, you you recognize things that Americans may do or say very, very much in terms of their um, 
you know, in terms of how they communicate or how they start meetings and oh, yeah. about too, yeah. like we do start every meeting talking about somebody talk mentions the weather and ever since we talked, um, you know, I think, I apparently, I mean, that and some analogies and you know, what surprised you from yes. on that. Yes. So again, being, I came from a company that was global, but was not in the U S right. right. Yeah. Company was founded in Brazil. So Cummings was my first job in the U.S., right? I had some externships during the program too. So I noticed that at every meeting, people would start saying, oh, this weather is like great or, you know, fill the blank. It's great. It's horrible. It's cold. It's, it's going to snow. And did you see the tornado? There's tornado warnings, et cetera. <laughs> I'm like, why do we always start meetings talking about the weather? Brazilians don't do that at all. We the weather is a given, like it, we just look out the window, it's sunny, <laughs> hot <laughs> and humid. <laughs> so that's not a factor that plays any relevance in our lives, right? right. Oh, it's going to rain. Yeah. I mean, this, those are facts that you can assert by just looking out the window. So there's no point in using that for chit chat, right? But here it's just such an important part. So the first thing I had to do <laughs> After my first week of coming, okay, I think I need to download this weather app <laughs> and, and look at it every day so I know exactly what to talk about before we start the real part of the meeting, right? Uh, or, um, <laughs> I know. And the funny thing is I have team members and direct reports that are outside the U.S., right? So China and India and other parts of the world. And when I have a meeting with them, despite me being Brazilian, and they know that, they start talking to me about the weather too. <laughs> and I'm like, why? <laughs> like the assumption is because I live in the U.S., I need to talk about the weather before I get started in any meeting, right? <laughs> it's just very interesting. That the other is, thing, the go ahead. No, no, I was gonna. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is the, some of the analogies. I mean, now I'm completely oh. the weather in any different you know, moment now. And I, I, I kind of, as I said, giggle, but you, you know, you also talk about some of the sort of American phrases or analogies. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Indiana and Indianapolis, I mean, it's a very sports driven city, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that happens here and that people get wild, um, it, it doesn't happen here, it happens all over the West, but it's March Madness, right? Yep. So when people started talking to me about, oh, are you ready for March Madness? I thought it was a disease that I had to take a vaccine for. <laughs> <laughs> and like, do you have your bracket ready? I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm missing something that's going on. Right. And, and really didn't understand what was the whole March Madness. Um, the other thing is that um, when, before going into a meeting, um, I told my, my manager I was uh, a bit nervous. And he said, oh, don't worry. You're going to hit it out of the park. And I'm like, okay. I, I came from a background where, you know, in Brazil we play soccer. So if a person hits the ball out of the park in soccer, <laughs> they're missing the goal by a lot. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then I, I was like, what, what does it mean? What does he mean? And then I, like, searching and... People, okay, it's a baseball analogy to home run, right? You're going to hit a home run, which is knocking out of the park, which is great in baseball, right? Yeah. 
I, I saw for a moment that he was wishing, you know, something, you know, when people are like actors, then you say, you break a leg, right? I thought that that's what he was trying to do when he said, you're going to hit it out the park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, those are small, different things that um, I pay a lot of attention to them today when I'm interacting with my, my coworkers and my team members um, outside the U.S. So my communication is clear, right? And they don't feel as much included because I'm using a slang that they don't understand, right? Okay. So this is a big learning for me. As we say, they sound like, you know, you know, they're kind of humorous moments and things like that. But on the other hand, they are a way of communicating and trying to communicate effectively with people with different backgrounds regardless. And, you know, it sounds, you know, particularly being in Indianapolis, there was you know, there's a whole local flavor that, you know, is, is unique and getting used to that as well. And that yeah. the slang is not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. And I, again, I don't consider myself a person who is not fluent in English, but it, it was just like those small things and the small, um, the small um, little things that you have to learn. I ended up buying a book that said, uh, the title of the book is How to Speak Hoosier. <laughs> <laughs> the book's out there. It's a very old book. Indiana, listening to our podcast, Hoosier is another word for Indiana. So, um, one of the first ones. I'm yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, how to talk Hoosier, which means how to talk like people in Indiana. So, I could learn the slang. Uh, or, for instance, that person threw a stink, which means they made a big deal out of it. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea. Well, she, be, she threw a big stink about it. Okay, what does that really mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other parts about it that I wanted to ask you about is that, you know, you, with all of that, I mean, you've really grown to you know, appreciate and really enjoy Minneapolis. I mean, I mean, Indianapolis for your career. And then at the same time, your husband is in Michigan and your son is at school there. So, you know, he's, you know, is as a woman, that's a, you know, sometimes that's a a non-traditional thing. And particularly you mentioned that in your neighborhood in in Indianapolis, it's sort of an unusual role. So, you know, how do you handle that woman as a Brazilian woman, as somebody in your job and, you know, just how it makes you feel? Yeah. I don't follow the traditional role, right? My husband moved here around two months after I moved here and um, he obtained a transfer from his company and he brought our son with us, but his company is in Michigan. And um, for the first year, my son was here with me while, while I was in school. But when I started at Cummings in 2015, we switched and then my he stays with my husband in Michigan. So it's very unusual for everybody around me in my neighborhood. So the first question is, where is your husband? When is he going to move here? <laughs> I got that question so many times. <laughs> but I said, you know, we're both working parents and we have lovely careers and we love being uh, with the companies we're with. Um, so most of the women around me in my neighborhood are all um, stay-at-home moms, right? Which is a very noble thing to do and it's great for, for you and your family it's just very different than my reality, right? Where I'm alone most of the time during the week. So there's a lot of assumptions like, are you going to have more kids? And because I only have one and families around me are like four or five kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I'm only having one kid. Um, 
and um, he's happy there and I'm happy here and he comes in during the weekends and I go there during certain weekends and it, it, there's an expectation that as a Latina woman that I'm the, I'm the one who needs to stay at home. Uh, I'm the one who's a care, the caregiver and everybody, oh, this must be horrible for you. Yes, I would, of course, love that we were all in the same place, but is it fair to ask my husband who loves his career to drop his career to be with me in Indianapolis, right? When he has this thriving career in Michigan. And um, yes, it is hard. We are both, um, my husband is a great father, but we're, we're fine this way. If people make it sound like it's horrible and it, it is definitely difficult. Uh, but you, when you have a partner that help you to make it work, then it works, right? But the assumption of, the, of people is always, oh, this is horrible, must be horrible for you. You must be, your heart must ache and missing them. I mean, I heard that the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and they, yeah, <laughs> yes, and it, it, it's almost like, no one says that with all the words, but it's almost like, why are you doing this? You're his mom, right? You're his wife. And not like I am a compliance professional. I have my professional life here. And I am a mom and a wife, but those things do not need to be exactly in the same location for them all to work together, right? Yeah. So it, it is definitely interesting. And it is challenging for me to in the sense that I, 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 and I noticed that I had a bias, um, uh, with stay at home moms, but like, what, what are they doing the whole day? I'm doing all those things. Right. And it, it, it like, they're like running to, you know, target school, football, soccer, you know, and yeah. I'm like solving all those problems. And, and I noticed that that's the joy for them and that's the passion for them. And that's absolutely fine. Right. It, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, there are no, you know, I think, it's, I think that people think about those things from their own lens often. And I think that that can be a challenge. I, you know, I, I don't have kids and I'm single. So sometimes people will look and think, you know, what is she doing with her time? And I feel like I'm quite, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was a lot of stuff to get done, but I, I think it's really true that, you know, it, it has a lot to do with people viewing things through their own lens and, you know, learning from it. And I think it's really important, which brings me to one you know, sort of two last questions for you, um, you know, given all the stuff that we talked about. And, you know, the last thing is, you know, you know, you are obviously really excited and passionate about your job. You know, what's your favorite thing about that? And, you know, that keeps you there, that makes you really excited about it. And I guess the other thing is if there's anything else you would want to, you know, mention, you know, in terms of advice or to women, particularly, you know, those, you know, you know, from other countries or cultural challenges or just anything, you know, you would else you'd like to share. Yeah. So I'll start with your first thing. And what I love about what I do at Cummings is that it's just this big, diverse, global company that is, uh, has the mind and the heart in the right place, which is we want to do the right thing. And here's the, here's, it's not carte blanche. I wish it was, <laughs> I wish it were, but here's, tell me everything you need to do compliance function to get this working. Right. And it, this is a value. The integrity value is embraced. And as a compliance professional, there's nothing more rewarding that having the company backing you up. 
right? I will never be able to work for a company that does not believe that compliance and ethics are important and become first from anything else, right? Um, I mean, customers are important, of course, uh, but they come, uh, our integrity should be the way we go about doing business with our customers and with our partners. So that's very exciting for me. And um, that's, it's, it's just a dream. Um, in terms of advice that I would like to share as a foreign person who's been here in the U.S. now for five years, um, and for people listening, do not allow people to box you in their box. Okay, do not allow people to categorize you. Uh, do not let anybody else tell you what your dreams should be based on the way you look like or the experiences you have or the things you they think you're good at. Follow your own path. I mean, work hard and hustle, but follow your and follow your own path. Don't let anybody tell you what's the path based on based on what their assumptions are of what is good for you. Yeah, that's. So helpful. And I thank you so much for that. Um, and, you know, thanks for taking the time to speak with us on the Compliance Podcast Network. Um, I'm Lisa Fine. Um, and on behalf of Mary Shirley and I, thank you so much. And as one quick little end note, I, separately from everything we were talking about, I was looking at those national days online and this is going to come out on July 31st. Apparently yesterday, if you're all listening, the day this came out was National Whistleblower Day. So at some point in time, everyone is officially being appreciated. And in the compliance world, we now have a day to thank those who are um, supporting us going forward. And I just found that to be a little bit of a, a fun fact and thought I'd share it with the group. So thank you again. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review. 